Goddag og velkommen til Langsom Samtaler. Mit navn er Rune Lykkeberg. Det er i dag den sidste langsom samtale i hele sæsonen, og der er på en eller anden måde noget fuldstændigt rigtigt over, at vi taler med den svejtiske filosof Rahel Jægi, som er uddannet på Frankfurterskolen og en af tidens vigtigste repræsentanter for det, der hedder kritisk teori. For vi har jo gennem den seneste sæson talt rigtig meget om kapitalisme, talt rigtig meget om menneskelige lidelser, talt om frigørelse og talt om det, der stod i vejen for frigørelse. Vi har forsøgt at tænke både over det eksistentielle og det politiske, over alt det, vi som mennesker har på spil og alt det, der er i vores politik. Vi har forsøgt at tænke de ting, der brænder sammen i det 2100, sammen i et større perspektiv, som både skulle gøre os fri til at tænke over tingene og motivere os til at tænke videre herfra. Og den tradition, som det egentlig udspringer af, det er det, som hedder den kritiske teori, som opstod på Frankfurterskolen for omtrent 100 år siden, som var en tværvidenskabelig undersøgelse af samfundets brændende anlægner. Rahel Jægi er den seneste generation af radikale kapitalismekritiske tænkere fra Frankfurterskolen, som jeg er utrolig glad for i dag at få muligheden for at introducere på dansk. Good evening and welcome to our viewers here in Copenhagen and especially good afternoon Rahel Jægi, who's with us from Berlin. Good afternoon. Hun brød igennem med en bog, der hed Ente Fremdung fra 2005, som er en fabelagtig fremstilling af, hvordan fremmedgørelse finder sted i vores samfund i dag. Nogle år senere skrev hun en bog, der hedder Kritik for en lebensformer. Altså kritik af den måde, vi lever på. Hvor hendes pointe var, at hvis vi lader som om, det ikke betyder noget, hvordan vi lever. Og hvis vi ligesom opretholder de der dogmer om, at folk de må da gøre, som det passer dem, bare det ikke skader andre, så har vi ingen som helst chance for at lave om på det samfund, som vi lever i. Hun er på vej med en ny bog, der har en helt fantastisk titel. Den hedder Forskridt und Regression. Fremskridt og tilbageskridt. Og det er med udgangspunkt i den, at vi nu runder denne sæsons langsomme samtaler af. So my, my first question for you is a lot of us who grew up with critical theory when we were very young we gained a kind of a critical conception of capitalism and that was almost like an identity thing for me that capitalism is something that you should be against if you're if you're progressive and then you start analyzing and and you start finding okay some some of those things that we blame on capitalism Actually, they, maybe they're not the product of capitalism. Maybe they're in. Maybe there's products of modernity, or maybe they were even worse in pre-capitalist so societies. And and I'm always curious uh, about when and how people became uh, critics of capitalism. When did that start for you, Professor Rahel Yegi? <laughs> it's actually not not so easy to say. And, uh, Interestingly enough, I think it's the other way around. You just uh, described yourself as, I mean, early on, uh, no, no, no question, it was about capitalism and the critique of capitalism. And then you became to, I mean, a bit more like uh, skeptical about whether every everything, every bad thing in the world is actually connected to capitalism. For me, it was probably... I mean, the other way around when I was when I was young and involved in political activism, capitalism was not so much. I mean, it was out of fashion to be a critique of capitalism. 
Um, it was, I mean, Marxism was a bit out of fashion. Capitalism was not something that people would easily use as a concept in order to uh, to describe what kind of struggles they were involved into. I mean, in some way, I would say those um, issues we touched upon, for example, I mean, housing, squatting houses, questions of private property, actually, or of dispossession, commodification with respect to housing or cities or so. I mean, these were struggles I was involved in, also struggles um, upon nuclear energy and so on, the ecological question. Uh, so nowadays, I would say all those issues touched upon matters of, of capitalism already. But at that very point, I mean, I wouldn't say no one. Of course, there were always people who have, I mean, remained within this framework. But for us as like young political activists, it was not um, just not the kind of concept we were using i mean we didn't use that many concepts anyway but it was more about like disciplinary society more about um, power control fighting for self-determination collective experience and living and so on and i would say at that point to start from a critique of capitalism was always under some kind of suspicion of being orthodox, deterministic, or economistic, uh, and so on. So for me, it was actually only a bit later uh, when we started to connect those issues again to, I mean, questions of capitalism or the social economical order called capitalism at all. And it was also a bit later that I was very young then, and I started to, to read all those things way before I, I started to study and to go to the university. So. I'm, I'm talking about a, I mean, a very early, early period of time and a, and a short period of time from, I mean, looking from now, but just in in terms of political and theoretical socialization, I would say Foucault was was important uh, before Marx was important for me, which is surprising because, I mean, right now it's obviously the other way around, and I mean everything that I did in uh, in philosophy then when I started to to do philosophy was. Um, not always related to Marx, I mean, not at all, and I've never actually written about Marx, uh, and also I've started to work, I mean, on Hannah Arendt and uh, questions of, of how to conceive the political and so on, but yes, so the idea that it is capitalism uh, that we could uh, should think about um, was not so obvious for me in the very beginning, and so the kind of transition that you described was somehow different, some of the other way around that at some point I thought in order to connect all those different issues, topics, struggles, to have another look at the concept of capitalism, the theory of capitalism, and also to have another look uh, at how um, the economical and social order functions in order to figure out how to criticize what to do about it. Um, somehow came to my mind. But that had all also to do, of course, with the kind of theories that I was then interested in and involved in. So how did you come to, to, to as I said, was that when you started studying or was that later when you started researching and writing your yourself? I mean, I started reading Marx um, within a political group, actually still, um, and then later on at university. But 
at a certain point, uh, I'm, I'm studying the tradition of critical theory. Of course, you you start to read Marx, Weber, Freud, and so on. I mean, you start to um, uh, to read those theories who are in the background of what at first sight seemed to be more interesting to us, namely, as you mentioned as well, to read Adorno, Horkheimer, um, later on. So of course, at, at some point you think uh, you have to go a bit deeper in, in, into, into the background and the, the very beginnings of critical theory. And then I always thought that Marx is, a, is an author who is somehow, when we begin to read and understand him without this kind of um, orthodoxy and without the fear of not getting the whole Marx right or the whole system right, if we start to use it in order to understand our present time, in order to, uh, to develop our ideas along some of the concepts he uses, along some of the analysis he uses, I always thought it, it's fruitful to, to have some kind of um, independent relation to the topics, issues, and still very interesting thesis that he brings about. And this was something that I did with my uh, book on alienation. It's actually, I mean, as you know, not a book on Marx, and it doesn't even deal with Marx a lot, but at the same time, it's deeply influenced by uh, by Marx's theory of alienation and tries to figure out what to do with this uh, in um, in a different manner, conceptually spoken, but also, of course, uh, regarding um, times that have been changing. Yeah, and, and I should also be fair to your work because critique von Lebensform is not is also not like a capitalist critique, and it's not it doesn't have capitalism written all over it, and and your and alienation doesn't have that. Too, I think I was a little shaped by your conversation with Nancy Fraser because its focus is really on, on capitalism. Your, your your conversation there. There's a quote from that conversation that I really like. You say at a point, in a way, capitalism works better than we think. It may eat up its own resources and its institutional precondition, but it also seems able to create new resources for for itself. We might think it's an evil system, yet somehow it always manages to persevere. And I think for someone who grew up with the criticism of capitalism, that was such a great observation because I felt that the critique was always a little behind it, that, that the capitalism was always more advanced than its critics. Uh, and I was always surprised by exactly that, its, its uh, ability to recreate new resources for itself. H how would you? limit capitalism to how Jay, this is the capitalism that we're critical of um i mean two things this uh, this quote um th this was somewhat a warning um in order i mean a warning about an all too easy let's say functionalist or crisis critique of capitalism um I mean, the kind of capital of, of critique that would say capitalism just I mean, is dysfunctional, is prone to crisis, prone to deep structural crisis that it can't can't overcome. Or I mean, the, the whole mode of thinking about capitalism and critique that would say it, it tends to eat its own tail, undermine the resources that he draw he draws upon, and and so on. And I think there is a lot to be said about it. There's, um, I'm actually very interested in this kind of functionalist analysis, but at the same time, one should not 
underestimate the way that what is functional for a society, for a social formation is always also a normative question. There's no such thing as just pure dysfunction in, in, in societies. Uh, so you will have to, to spell out um, in which way and connect it to related to what kind of life that we are living and want to live. This is dysfunctional. Uh, so it's not, it's not something that you can easily uh, that will, will somehow solve the question of, of how to how to criticize capitalism. And then the other thing that that uh, I wanted to emphasize here is that yeah, it might be dysfunctional, and of course, talking about the ecological catastrophes of, of, of capitalism and talking about climate catastrophes and so on. Those days, we are getting closer to this kind of crisis critique or a critique along the lines of, uh, of a functional critique, um, because it's so obvious that there's a real problem and that those resources that um, capitalism uses and cannot provide us with again and, 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 and tends to destroy. So the danger that this is something that can will not be solved uh, uh, is so much more prominent now. Um, but still, at the same time, as much as it seems to be uh, dysfunctional or has dysfunctional elements, it is also creative, as, as you say it, said. Or it's even like, I would say it's, it's a bit like in martial arts. Uh, it also uses the power of the opponent in order to um, get out of crisis situation. I'm not so sure that, or I wouldn't be so sure anymore that I mean, as far as we have seen, uh, capitalism has managed to get out of its crisis uh, much better than, let's say, Marxist crisis theorists have um, suggested. So this is something that has given crisis theory a bad name, that uh, uh, in, in, in times when everything seemed to be pretty stable or pretty functional, every, uh, some crisis theorists have, have foreseen the ultimate crisis that even if you don't see it now, you, it's, it's going to, uh, to develop. I think we are so close to, I mean, real and very, very dangerous crisis uh, right now. And also a serious, not only a series of crises, also uh, what has been called multiple crises, meaning that there are multiple crises who are have their independent dynamics, but are at the same time connected to each other. And it's not so easy to say how we will get out of this uh, anymore. So maybe this um, this idea, it's also very creative. Uh, I mean, and, and this sentence has been written a couple of years ago. Maybe one should be a bit skeptical. The other point I, I wanted to emphasize here is, and this I'm, I'm still serious about, to, to insist on a somehow constructivist approach here. So the idea that capitalism does not only destroy, but also creates. There is no such thing as an innocent we as human beings, we as a society that is just damaged by society. That would be too easy a picture. It is also partly created by it and partly the things that we enjoy, the goods that we need and, and enjoy, the forms of life that we are um that we are living in um this is at the same time created by and damaged by capitalism so it's it's uh, important to see the whole picture with all its tangents and contradictions but not to 
somehow flee into an all too easy picture of uh, the innocent uh, part of life as such. Or, I mean, it's, it's important not to romanticize um, those forms of life and those uh, capabilities and those goods that are outside of capitalism as against what 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 uh, he has damaged and constructed so this kind of constructivist but at the same time realist approach seems to be important i mean it seems to be important to see that uh, it is not so easy to distinguish uh, the the goods and abilities and our subjectivities that have been created by capitalism from uh, what is at the same time damaged by it and this uh, again, is something that uh, one should try to, uh, to to spell out the whole picture in order not to fall in, in, into the trap of what you you mentioned, Marcuse, earlier. And you could say that I mean, with this kind of critical theory, it was always very close to the idea that there is such a thing as uh, real interests, pure human needs, the kind of human needs that are not already damaged by, distracted by capitalist influences and so on. And I always thought that it's in order actually to um, hold on to those ideas. And I still think that we, we have to talk about needs, we have to talk about real interests, and we have to talk about ideology and, and things like this but we have at the same time we should avoid uh, to fall into this trap and to underestimate somehow um, the historical process of uh, uh, creating subjectivities social forms and so on has has produced yeah, i think the, the, i i think you're absolutely Right, but and I also think uh, this morning, uh, my daughter, she's 19, she's graduating today, so she's becoming a student. And I was with uh, some of her co-students this morning, and, you know, they would call themselves communists. And I was like, You're, yes, not even socialists, because I think they think that socialists, that is Bernie Sanders, and he's just basically a social democrat. We can't mm -hmm. use that. You know, what's the the utopia of American socialism? That's Denmark in 1980. So, yeah. So, 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 you know, it's not like, it's not the utopian resources that inspires here. So they would call themselves so communists and, and I would challenge that, of course. But at, and at the same time, they were all part of, you know, surveillance capitalism, all, all using iPhones, all gaining their communist materials through Amazon, you know, <laughs> and, and they're, they're being part of that economy. And one way, very easy way of looking at it is say, you think you are communist, but really you're absolutely shaped by evil capitalism. But it's not as simple as that because, you know, uh, you know, they all, Amazon also distributes critique of Amazon. There's, there's polyvalences at, at, at stake here. So the picture is, is very, it's very complex because, and Facebook is not just surveillance capitalism. Facebook is also facilitating rebellion. Facebook, they are challenging the, the old market, the old media, but they are also making uh, old media live. They've, they've done that to our old progressive mm -hmm. uh, news, newspaper. So that's why it is so complicated actually to deliver a, 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 a critique on on capitalism, and I think there's. I mean, just I mean, related to 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 this and those new like 
ways of communicating and communicative media and skills and so on. I mean, this is so obvious that the, I mean, that there is a generation gap uh, between how to use those and how to be socialized into this certain kind of, I mean, having having this kind of digital network all over the world. And in some way, I mean, I mentioned that capitalism acts like someone who does martial arts, like using the strength and the power of the enemy. But the other way around might be true as well, that um, we use uh, the strength and the power of the enemy as well. Um, so if, if 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 all goes well, if if it doesn't, <laughs> then yeah, it's 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 a one-sided relationship. But at the same time, you could also see that all those new skills and um, uh, networks and stuff that is at the same time very problematic, but also enabling. And at this, and also you you just you can't imagine certain kinds of. I mean, friendships, social relations, identities anymore without those um, new skills. And that's that's a good example for what goes on here. And you can't imagine Greta Thunberg's success without social media. You can't imagine Fridays for Future. You cannot imagine the global public that enabled the green movement uh, without those those uh, surveillance capitalist companies. And, and, and so... so so that I'm a little cautious with the, this enemy picture of, of capitalism, even though you need it somehow to mobilize energy. But when I was also, when I was talking to these young people, thinking about the beginning of your book, Kritik von Lebensformen, mm -hmm. because, you know, as a progressive and liberal, you think I cannot criticize other people's choices. And especially as, a, as an old white man, I cannot criticize the young students' uh, choices. <laughs> and, and I think it's the, the opening of that book is so very important because you demonstrate why we should not criticize the individual choices, but the shapes of life. And, and why is that we should, we, we should do that? Or why should we break the liberal taboo of saying, yeah. well, your individual choices is a black box? I mean, as you, as you already said, it's not about the individual choices. It's about forms of life as social practices, as shared practices, as institutions. And here, the I mean, the, the liberal black box that would say we should be what Habermas calls ethically abstinent uh, with respect to forms of life uh, uh, in terms of we can judge upon, I mean, whether... Uh, some some social arrangement is just or whether it it violates uh, rights but we shouldn't judge upon it's that like the content of the form of life so there's a very famous uh, quote that i use where he says um there's no question that we could criticize if someone um, beats up his child, if, if, if practices in, in, in education, for example, are violent, but on the other side, uh, education itself, I mean, how to, I mean, marriage practices, what, whatever, um, uh, should be out of the question for us as philosophers. So the, the, the red line would, would be, uh, would be, the moral, I mean, if, if you if you cross the moral line of what we owe to each other, then of course, I mean, this this is a matter of universal and universalist concern, but um, um, collective and individual forms of life should be out of the question because we want to make sure that uh, people can lead their own lives and autonomous lives. And my argument here is always that one depends on the other, that we wouldn't even be in the situation as a society to criticize and and to, to abolish something like violence in education if 
the whole form of life would not have changed. And I mean, this is a result. The idea that um, beating up kids is out of the question and is a moral and not only an ethical problem is something that has historically developed in a certain way because of a lot of other, I mean, debates and resources and things that we know about kids. I mean, it has a lot to do with uh, the fact that uh, the so-called like black uh, pedagogy and the, the idea that um, kids are somehow like wild animals who have to be tamed is, has been replaced by a friendlier and more democratic idea of, uh, of education, but also of childhood itself. I mean, the, the whole concept of child and childhood has, has changed. So all those things that I would think are part of what I call a form of life. I mean, all those practices and self-understandings of, of a form of life need to be changed in order to then at a certain point um, articulate or, I mean, rule out those moral uh, concerns or those um, practices that from a moral point of view would be, uh, would have to be forbidden. So this is one, one, of, one, one of the reasons why I think it just doesn't work. So there is no strict separation be, between the so-called ethical and the uh, moral. There's also the, the, the idea that we could distinguish between theories of the good and theories of the right, the way that uh, contemporary philosophy or liberal philosophy does, and that we could defend the neutrality of the state with respect to forms of life. This seems to be, I mean, for me, this seems to be, to, to say it a bit harshly, ideological in terms of something that is already decided upon. I mean, the problem is always that uh, if you practice ethical abstinence with respect to forms of life, you tend to uh, just take the form of life and the practices you're involved in as a given, as a default position. For example, take the, the market. We might take it for granted that everything can be sold. I mean, is, 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 is a good that can be bought and sold, sold on the market. But there are so many background assumptions with respect to those goods that are in place already when we start to, um, to enter the market and to, to engage as, I mean, in, uh, within the market. It is already an ethical decision which part of uh, uh, our resources and goods can be marketized, cannot be marketized. No society, I mean, even our completely commodified societies are not completely commodified. There's always something that is, is ruled out here. So there are a lot of ethical um preconditions and a lot of ethical decisions that are already in place when we start to talk about comprehensive doctrines from forms of life. Uh, and the, the problem is that once you stop to argue about them in what I would call an emancipatory mode and direction, once you stop to, uh, to criticize practices, not only because they are immoral, but also because you think they are flawed and just uh, irrational and whatever in I mean in, in, in other terms, then you will lose the grip, for example. I mean, one of the uh, of, of the results of this kind of ethical abstinence is that we tend to only focus on, I mean, when it comes to social justice, we tend to focus on uh, redistribution only instead of uh, talking about what should be produced and in which way should it be produced and then i mean how should resources be um, distributed but the distribution question is not the most 
I mean, only focusing on the distribution question will lead to nothing in terms of the real um, problems and social pathologies that uh, people experience in their lives. So getting back to capitalism and the question of capitalism, there's a reason why, uh, let's say, and under the regime of political liberalism and the ethical abstinence neutrality of the state idea, the critique of capitalism as a mode of production, which also is, as I, I would say, a mode of a way of living, a form of life, has been so like not touched upon. I mean, the black box metaphor that I use here, forms of to use forms of life as a black box, you only uh, uh, criticize and judge upon what what the results are instead of uh, opening up the black box and and and, and trying to to get into a meaningful debate of how we should live here. Uh, this also holds for the economy. I mean, the economy has been dealt with as some kind of a black box for even within critical theory for a long time. So, it was, yeah, it was something like the economy is a sphere where, I mean, to interfere in a, in a certain way might damage the very rationality and logic of of the economic sphere so let's try to tame the tiger let's try to yeah talk about either redistribution or tame the tiger in a democratic way so that you a certain kind of let's say dignifying what, what castells calls uh, dignifying work and and a certain way to deal with uh, class conflict in terms of uh, provide them with social, stable situations, social rights, and so on. I and mean, this is all part of this uh, taming of the tiger, perhaps. But the problem is that at some point it wasn't, uh, we could not be so sure anymore that this tiger even can be tamed. So again, this would be a good reason for opening up the black box and talk, and, and, and talk about the very, I mean, econ economical practices and principles of the economy here and the dynamics of the economy in terms of is there a tension between or even a contradiction between uh, this kind of capitalist accumulation dynamics and the possibility to tame it uh, in a democratic way. So it's not just about whether I would like to talk about like personal preference, I mean, personal preferences with respect to ways of living. So it's it's not a luxury problem. It's not something like, okay, so there are deep, deep problems um, on the level of justice and the so-called social question. And then there might be debates about forms of life, ways of living that are somehow in the cultural sphere and not as urgent as the other ones. I would say that not thematizing forms of life, which then also means, I mean, forms of producing our life, um, has effects on our ability to, um, to even criticize those issues that in some way are, of course, very urgent matters on the level of, of, of social justice. It has something to do with each other. If you don't criticize capitalism or it has it has a lot to do with the, our ability to criticize uh, capitalism on the structural level that I think it needs to be addressed. I think there's something very interesting to what you said that it's like the critical theory also treated the economy like a black box and sometimes I get the feeling that there was an ideology saying well 
the economy is part of, it's just its own nature. It's a, its own organic harmony. And, and, and the, it's about shaping market forces. It's described in these metaphors of, of nature. Uh, and that was kind of an ideology of the right. Well, don't interfere with this nature. If you interfere with this nature, you're going to ruin it. And then you see a lot of criticism of neoliberalism for people who grew up with it and saw how it was instituted, supported by practices, supported by policies, enabled by trade agreements that are definitely not just negative deregulation, like people say, but positive power practices. They, they kind of overtook that saying, so the left can say, well, this is a dangerous nature, this market that we should, you know, it's not a tiger. It's a creature of our own political mm-hmm. making. Mm-hmm. I think something that a lot of people touched upon during this season in the podcast is, of course, the way that it seems that some basic premises of capitalism seems to be renegotiated at the moment. Mm-hmm. That you see, of course, with, with Joe Biden in America, you see with the trade agreements, you see with what's happening in the in the in the European Union with the Budget Recovery Act, and and you, you see it all over all over the Western world, but in different constellations. And I know you're not German, but you live in in, in Germany. <laughs> do do you see that taking place in Germany as well? Do you see something like a challenge basic neoliberal? assumptions do you see this german election because look at it from the outside it doesn't look it but how, how do you see it um not so easy to say i mean i totally agree with your description that this tendency to take uh, the economy as i mean in 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 in, in metaphors of the natural i mean and, and this is i mean what was mark's point the point or the the actual point was to say those are social practices, results of what human beings do, and as such, and I think I think this is still a, a, I mean, such an important uh, insight to say it is a social practice. I mean, and as I would say, capitalism is a form of life, like a bundle of different kinds of practices: economic, cultural, uh, uh, whatever, educational. Um, and to conceive of the economy as a social practice means that it can be changed. It can be renegotiated. It doesn't mean that it just that it's just up to us. I mean, this I, I, I wouldn't want to say. There are not only functional necessities involved. It's also that I mean, the very term practice here says it's, let's say, a bit deep, deeper, more resistant than just some spleen, some 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 kind of position that I tend to have, and then you uh, you you convince me that it's wrong, and I'm 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 changing my mind. So of course it's much deeper, and it's 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 I mean connected to other practices and all sorts of. So if you change one of those practices, or the, uh, if you renegotiate, for example, the boundary between what can be sold, what cannot be sold, the market, the non-market sphere, then a lot will change. I mean this will change like the basic structure of society, but. It can be renegotiated. It has to be renegotiated because, after all, it's a result of human practice. And um, it is interesting to see that all those um, um, analysis of neoliberalism, who spelled exactly out what you said, that it is always institutionalized already. I mean, there is politics in it all the way down. It's not just something that developed in a like. yeah, quasi-natural manner. It's it, it's so obvious to see that it's um, that it is politically instituted. And with respect to is it renegotiated right now? And what about the German politics? I don't know. Every day you would ask me and meet me, I would give you a different answer. It's, I would say so. 
in, in certain moments during the corona pandemic, I would have said, okay, this is an opening. This is like the kind of crack that you always need in order to change things. That always, I mean, where it is obvious that we are in a crisis, it's obvious that it's also a crisis of public health, of public education, of uh, you name it, and that it's, uh, and, and, and also you see that the very idea that the state couldn't intervene into, econo <laughs> into the economy, I mean, from one day to the other, it was obsolete. From one day to the other, like uh, uh, to write uh, black numbers is, I mean, this the sort of ideology was gone. Um, all of a sudden, state intervention into into the economy was was out of question. So, in some way, it was the very moment where you could renegotiate. Um, um, for example, I mean, the, the work done and done in hospital, hospitals and so on. Yes, yeah, so in some moments I thought, okay, so this is the kind of crisis that one needs in order to push it towards an emancipatory socialist, even a direction, or at least into, into a direction where like the democratic control over the economy, which also means the democratic control about the sphere of our life that shapes our lives. I mean, it, I, I wouldn't go for, for the, like the orthodox, it's all about the economy or the economy is like the master a currency that invades everything without taking into account the dynamics of its own of other social spheres but still i mean economy is obviously powerful and shapes our lives more than any any anything other does and so in some way this this would have been the moment on the, the on the other hand and this is why i say it depends on which day <laughs> you meet me i would say okay it's already over there was a chance to reopen this debate, but uh, in, in, for some reason, there has not been, it's not that no one or no public intellectual would have mentioned this. We all did it all the time. I mean, you could read like one interview after the other people. Okay, so this is a crisis of neoliberalism as well. And we have to get rid of, 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 of certain a certain ideology of neoliberalism. The problem is that there was not actually a powerful social movement. The insights are there. There are a lot of struggles and on different levels, but the kind of, I mean, the moment that you need in order for, for those positions to gain momentum and to become a real political force that then would also be able to influence, I mean, you were talking about political parties as well, that, that could change the political agenda. I'm not so sure. Tak for nu. Det var den sidste samtale i den her sæson. Jeg kan love, at vi har en masse nye aftaler allerede klar. Jeg kan også love, at vi kommer tilbage. Mere vil jeg ikke sige andet end at hvis I savner de langsomme samtaler, hvis I savner anderledes vej ind i verden, så har vi et lille sommershow, som vi kalder Shakespeare er lige her. Og her taler jeg med 10 forskellige mennesker, som har noget eksistentielt på spil, og som har særlig indblik i magt, om hvad Shakespeare betyder for dem, og hvad Shakespeare betyder for samfundet. Og de vil hver især introducere et af Shakespeare's store dramaer, som man kan stige på helt forfra. Jeg håber, vi høres ved, Både med Shakespeare og med de langsomme samtaler. Rigtig god sommer.